Well, good morning. Good to see y'all. The uh, couple quick things. Just the um, want to make sure you guys know the pounds last Sunday here is next Sunday. So just be aware of that. And then if you we we uh, we're going to put together a binder if you. Because we're and so we had a little like eight and a half, five and a half binder. So we you got those little sheets, or if you got here early, you probably didn't get one of those little sheets. They're just a blank cover stock. But if if, if the pounds impacted you in some way, you know, just make sure you jot that down for them. Give them something to read on the airplane on over or something. But uh, um, and then also the um, if you don't want to do that, or just want to do your own little note, that's fine as well. So I'll make sure that's that's going on. And then also. You know, if you make checks, we're not allowed to run checks through the church to the pounds. That's called inurement, and we get in trouble with the IRS. So if you'd like to give them a love gift, and I'm hoping he uses it for this Bible program that he wants, but he can use it for, they can use it any way they need to. But uh, if you'd like to give a love gift and you need to do a check, make sure you make it out to the pounds, but you won't get a tax deduction. So if that keeps you from giving, God bless you. Um, for, you know, but anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's in a whole nother topic. And, and I have to share this just because I think it's really important is, um, and, and it's always kind of hard, but, uh, Rodney and Helen, God, they live in Marysville. Uh, and he is a year, a few years ago and they, uh, God just kind of laid on their heart that it was time to not drive so far to church and try to be involved, and involved they were. You know, I mean, Rodney sits on everything. He's on the deacon board, the administration board, he's on the crow's nest. So they'll, this is their last Sunday with us, and, and God has called them out. But he sent, he communicated some things to me that were so, I mean, so wonderful about this body and, and how they, what, the, what it meant to them. And um, so it's always sad, but so I'm only telling you that because you need to hug on them and bless them before they, you know, on their last day. But it's always sad when somebody, you know, God calls somebody out. But uh, actually, if I'm not mistaken, um, you guys were my first solo wedding I ever did. And can I just, can I, you mind if I share this story? So Helen comes in to me one day and says, I'm done with men. I'm done. <laughs> Absolutely done. I'm going on a cruise with a dance cruise with some friends. I'm done. I am done. She comes back like a week later, and she goes, I've met someone. <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of swarmy, greasy, leisure suit-wearing guy picked her up at this, on this cruise? I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I don't like him already. I mean, I'm like, and she says, I want you to meet him. I go, oh, I'm glad you want me to meet him. You know, I want to meet this guy. And in walks Rodney, and I'm like, where's the swarmy guy? You know, this guy is like too good to be true. And so that, that's how their relationship began, and, it, and it's, they have a wonderful relationship. So with that, let's get into the Word of God. We're going to be in Psalm 131. One of the things I love to do between any kind of series is do a psalm. You, you know how, like, any, anybody do the readings through the Bible? You know, a lot of them will do sometimes an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a psalm. And I like that they always include a psalm. Psalms are hard to preach through the whole book of Psalms, you know. So you just kind of, and I use psalms in my own life just to kind of refresh occasionally and um, just allow the Lord to minister. 
um, to my heart, because psalms are written more to our heart. Um, they're meant to be real life things that, that impact us. And this one is really, I think, very powerful, um, even though it's only three verses. And so, um, well, let me just pray. Lord, just a blessing upon our time as we come into your word to know how much you love us. And Lord, we just thank you for the, the, the good people that love you, that come into our lives, um, and just the blessing they make in our lives, pounds, the, the sprays, others, uh, that, uh, Lord, have just impacted them. We thank you for the time we have had with them. And so, Lord, just bless them as folks go to new places and new adventures, that uh, they would seek you and be blessed and be a blessing. Lord, again, for our time, would you become very real to us in our time as we look at a very real psalm uh, of a real person who is interacting with you. I pray that it would become part of our language and our speech. In your name, amen. So, let me, so we're going to be in a psalm, and it's a psalm of David. And I just want to remind you of David. Because before we get into this, we've got to understand an, an aspect of David so that when we read this, we'll see another aspect of David. You know, David was one tough dude, right? I mean, he's taken on bears and lions with a slingshot. He's, you know, when he's a little guy, he is a warrior. In fact, I was trying to think today, just how much, how could we relate it to today's uh, kind of our military? And I would say he's a commander of the, uh, the SEALs, would be something similar to who David was, because he had his mighty men. And they, and you hear about, you know, they even have a section in scripture about their exploits. Uh, they were incredible, these guys. And so he is one macho dude. He's a guy you don't mess with. I mean, I think he even lugged around um, Goliath's sword and stuff. I mean, he just, you know, he was, he was a tough dude. And so when we read this, we're going to see some things about David that show a whole other side to him, a very tender side. That it's like, really? Can you both be, you know, for men, can you both be manly and sensitive? David was. You know, can we be, can, can we function in this world both focused but open? Achieve things but not hold on to things. I think David's going to give us some balance in here. And so, if you're, hopefully you have your Bibles. If you do, I'll be reading out of the ESV. But uh, if you notice, right at the very beginning, it, it says it's a song of ascents, ascent, a song of ascents. Song of ascent. I call them pilgrim songs. There's 15 of these with the title. We're in the middle of it, or toward the end of it, I guess. Uh, Psalm 120 to 134 are the songs of ascent. Now. They, you know, we don't know for sure, but we have some idea at the time of David and, the, and you know, the temple's yet to be built. They're still doing tabernacle, but they would have set the tabernacle up on Mount Moriah, which is where, you know, now the Dome of the Rock sits and the, the Western Wall is, and, it, and it's a higher elevation. And so they believe that they would have sang these songs as either pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, or even maybe as, as even David, who lived just below that mount, would have walked up maybe saying these psalms, singing these psalms. 
So uh, we don't know exactly how. We do know at the time of Jesus some things, how they used these 15. That is the ruins of the old second century time of Jesus temple. Uh, see those steps? That's, uh, let's see, yeah, that's, that's my group there. Um, some of my group, but those steps go right up and you can't see because the gates closed up, but they went right up to a gate. Just to let you know, behind us, behind where I'm taking that picture, are the mikvahs, or mikvots, uh, uh, where they did ceremonial cleaning. They had to purify themselves before they could go up to the, uh, to the temple. And so they have, just so happened to have 15 steps going up. And here's another angle of it. But there's 15 long steps. Here's a group doing what they used to do in the second century time of Jesus. They would go through every step. They would recite that psalm as they walked up. They'd recite Psalm 120 on the first step and then just keep moving up until they got to the end. That's what they, how they used the Song of Ascents during the time of Jesus. We don't know if they did that in the Old Testament, but this is how they did it at the time of Jesus. So just let you know, these were very, you know, active kind of psalms that, that three times a year, pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem for different feasts, and um, during the time of Jesus, they would have done this. So, that's what we see Song of Ascents when you're in 120 to 134, that's what we're talking about. All right. Oops, yeah, well, no, I don't like that. I'm going to skip that. Let's leave it here for a second. Let me just read the psalm. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Just three verses, very short in the Hebrew. It's actually super, super short, not a lot of words used. And it's something that they would have sang, preparing themselves to go into the temple. It's, um, it's interesting how this thing is used. Well, first of all, let's just... And I have this outline. I don't, think I, I don't love this, maybe. This is my little outline I did for it, but I, I don't love it, but I'll show it to you anyway. You know, the, the first verse talks about absence of negative traits. I don't have these things going on. And that's where he is presently. He, he goes past tense to say he's calmed his heart and such. And, and that's the past action he did in that first part of verse 2. Uh, the, the next part about the weaned child is really his belief about and response to God. When he's talking about a weaned child, he's talking about him and God. And then the last verse is that desire to have all, for all to have this kind of God experience. That, that we would hope in God that God is there and that he cares and that he has us. And so that's just, if you, that's how I outlined it just for my own sake. And I thought I'd share it. Do I love it? Eh, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I see my own things. I'm like, I'd probably maybe change a few things. But the big thing is, I believe the motivation in 2B is where this whole thing anchors on this verse. So as we go through this, let me just say the first part is the haughty eyes, 
some of your versions say, you know, I have not lifted my heart up too high or raised my eyes. Um, here's how he, Paul says in Romans, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So what's David saying is at that moment when he is doing this, this, writing this song, at that moment, he wasn't prideful. He didn't think he was better than everybody else or some other group of people. He understood where he was. And we know that, we know that the motivation is the key to that. But at that moment, he wasn't. And you know what? I believe he wrote this as a king. I think he wrote this because I think it's more meaningful if he's king. Um that he would have to be reminded of this verse as a king, that, you know what, I'm no better than the people I serve. I, before God, I'm just, just a person, just, just somebody who's trying to follow him. Um, and, and I think that's important because, you know, a lot of times, you know my, my axiom, right? It, we only judge people on things we do well or we think we do better than them, right? If, if you're doing something good, in your life, you're more likely to judge others who aren't. That's just the principle of life. And, and there's a lot of times that this goes over in our day of raging in social media and on every issue, everybody's raging on, you know what, we're all thinking we're better than somebody else. There's a group that we think needs to get their act together. He's saying as he's preparing to enter the Lord's presence, I'm not going to go there. Uh, they are loved of God. They sin, I sin. They're loved by God, I'm loved by God. Uh, that's who I am. That's who they are. And so the Romans kind of gives us a picture of, you know, even associating with the lowly. I mean, just, you know what? You're not too, you're not too big. Going back to our psalm, he says, I do not occupy, um, I'm, let's see, I meant to say 1B, 1A, 1B on my outline, but uh, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, it could, in context of our, of our verse, it could mean that he, um, you know, uh, he thought he'd do great things for God. That could be what it means. I'm going to do great things for God. You know, I, have a, I never forget a, a man I met in seminary who was very talented, I mean, very gifted, man. And I remember him coming up to me saying, Mike, I'm going to do great things for God. I know it. Okay. He goes, he has given me so many talents and gifts. I know I'm going to do great things for God. Now, you know, to me, I was a little uncomfortable. But I'm like, you know what, I don't know. You know, so, you know, I just tried to encourage him as best I can. I'll never forget, it was probably six months to a year later, he comes up to me, and broken, saying, help me. I'm about ready to have an affair with somebody at work. And I remember thinking, whoa, oh, what happened to the guy that's going to do great things? who's even struggling with throwing away everything for an affair. But on the other hand, it was the, could have been the best thing that ever happened to him. Because as far as I know, I mean, again, he certainly didn't have one then. Because I, we were, uh, I 
came alongside him and we figured out a plan, but still think it was the best thing for him. He was humbled. So, but I think it also means something else. Just in the sense of, a lot of times we think God has called us to something. Whether as a church, as a group, as a person. And we always think of the possibilities. Uh, We just talked about vision last week. And we think, oh my goodness, Lord, this is what I believe you're leading me. And and this, it's going to be just marvelous. You know, it's going to be, we're going to impact many people. And there's a level of, you know what? I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go to how great or grandiose. Because you know what? That's too much for me. I just want to be faithful. I just want to be dependent. And if I start thinking about that, my pride's going to get in the way, and I'm going to mess it up. And and, and so it has that element to it. It also has the element of just saying sometimes it's okay to say something is too great and marvelous. And the more I think about it, the more I want to reproduce it, the more I want to control it, the more I lose the power of it. I just want to let things be great. And I just want to let things be marvelous. And I don't need to figure it out. You know, um, let me just, again, I always don't like to always like pick on things, but I've been to and listened to worship from different churches. I've been, been attended them, and I've seen things on video sometimes, and sometimes I think what I'm seeing is what they're hoping, they're trying to create something marvelous and spectacular that they experience one other time, but it's not happening. And it's like, wait, just be who you are. Don't try to manufacture anything because you can't. Our times with God sometimes can be marvelous and fantastic and monumentous, and other times they're little drips. And sometimes we wonder, did I really even interact with God? Can I tell you what? They're all important. And just because one is spectacular doesn't mean the other ones aren't. A lot of times we don't know how God is using those things in our life. David is just pretty much, I think, saying, you know what, I'm going to leave marvelous. I'm going to leave things that are huge, big, great. I'm going to leave those in your hand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in those great and marvelous things. I'm just going to maybe just enjoy them or be faithful to the process. So now we're going to get to the part that I just really love about being like a weaned child. Now again, you know a weaned child, we're talking about three, four. I think in in, um, Old Testament times, around three or four was uh, a weaned child. And I want to throw this line at you just so it can linger for us. If you have been born again, then it is necessary to be a child again. I'm going to say it a little different later on. I'm going to say it's it's vital to our maturing. If you're born again, what does that mean? You're a baby, right? Then it's necessary to be a child again. Does that mean childish? No. But independent, yes. It's necessary to be a child again. He says, like a weaned child. 
that climbs up into his mother lap, mother's lap. David, mighty warrior, killer of men, countless men, his sword pierced. And yet, here's this mighty warrior saying, you know what, my soul, my being, climbs up, and he doesn't say it, but since he starts with Lord and ends with Lord, we know whose lap it is. He's assigning those nurturing attributes to God. You know, I saw this at a uh, couple times at a graduation party. I watched little, actually two little boys with two moms separately who just had to be with mom. Dad wouldn't do. And they were just held by mom. And nobody else mattered. They just, they didn't need anything other than be held. A wean child does not need the milk of the mother. So it, it's not there just because I need something, like I need nourishment, I need this, I need this. God, give me this. God, give me that. Uh, come on. Give. No. He's saying, you know what? I don't need anything than just to be held, just to be cared for. And that's something. What a picture. I, I assume everybody has been there. If you haven't, I would imagine life's circumstance will get to the point where you have to cry out to God. And it's important to know that he's there. That's why he says hope in the Lord. Why? Hope that the Lord is that kind of God that you can climb up into his lap and be held and just held. And not say, give me this, give me that. Just be held. This is an important concept, actually, through both Old Testament and New Testament. You're, even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord would take me in. The Lord would adopt me, even if I'm abandoned. You know, that's a very true statement for some of you. There's a few of you that probably were abandoned emotionally, maybe physically abandoned by a mother or a father, or both. Did you know the Lord takes you in? He adopts you into his family. It is those who have had that in the, 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 their life as a child, I believe, have a bigger gap that the Lord fills for being father that he parents us folks out of. Parents people out of. Look at this in Isaiah. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel. So all of Israel, all Jews who we have been grafted in, who have been born by me from before your birth. He knew us before we were born. Carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. Wait, do you mean even as a gray-haired person? I still have to be carried by the Lord? Yes. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and will save. The aspect in Scripture is, you know what? Sometimes we've got to be willing to be carried. Sometimes we've got to give up control. Sometimes we have to just be dependent. Because from that flows things that we can get nowhere else. Jesus. 
at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Now, Mark tells us another little clue. Mark tells us that he had him stand in the midst, building up pressure, I believe, and then he called that little boy to himself. And it literally means hugged him. And then made these statements. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What is Jesus telling us there? He's saying, you know what? This is the Father's heart toward not only little kids, but us. Because if we have to become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, then we're a child in that sense. And therefore, we get to sit on his lap. We get to be held. We get to be loved on like a child. We therefore be dependent. And so Jesus is making the same point again is, you know what? We're not getting into heaven without being that dependent kind of child. That's what you did with your salvation. You depended on the Lord saying, I can't do it. You have to. I can't erase my sins. You have to. I can't be righteous. You have to give me your righteousness. I just have to receive. As I was reading a really good book, I hope the leadership goes through it. It's by Ruth Haley Barton called Pursuing God's Will Together. Not just pursuing God's will, but doing it in a group. It could be for, I believe, could be husband and wife. It's written for more for churches. But um, if you're trying to discern things, it is just an outstanding process. And let me just read this quote. Another aspect of getting set to discern what God's will is, or getting ourselves in the position to be led by Christ, is the prayer of quiet trust, like the one found in Psalm 131. When we enter into the discernment process, we have already acknowledged that the matter before us is beyond our ability to figure out through human effort alone. Anytime, anybody faced with big decisions? Anybody have something weighing on you? The mere fact that we, Lord, we want your will says it's too big for me. That's the first act of a child. It's too big. I can't do it. So this prayer is perfect. So what she's recommending is that we pray this like David prayed it, and like every saint that said it as going up to Israel would mean it for themselves. It's one of the few prayers that's personal through the first two verses. The third one is group, but it's very personal where it doesn't include a lot of folks. It gives us a way to rest in God and God's promises and to experience that childlike trust that is so crucial to the journey of faith. Later on, what an amazing picture of our relationship with God and the stance we can cultivate as we enter into discernment. This is not the way we usually approach the leadership setting. Usually we come with our polished, powerful, and in-control selves. But what if we created space for each of us to drop into that place of deep trust in God where we know and experience utter dependence on God like a small child dependent on his or her parents for life and sustenance. The prayer of quiet trust creates that space and helps us make that shift. That prayer 
um, oh, George Mueller, the, the great man of faith and prayer who did amazing things for orphans in the 1800s and never asked for a dime, but just prayed. He said determining God's will was, I believe he said 90% dying to our own will. He says it's 90% of discerning. What this prayer is, is that prayer. How do I get there? How do I get there? Can I tell you, just, this is, when we can actively do this when we're, in a, we're trying to discern. or what, There's another place for this, too. Recently, I had a situation or I had some circumstances that came upon me. And I remember I, I had gone grocery shopping and I had come home and once I started to slow down, my heart was so heavy. I'm not going to give you details because this involves other people and I just want to make sure I'm, I'm not saying anything out of turn. But I got to tell you, I was hurting. I was really hurting. I was, I was sad and scared and confused and I was hurting. And all of a sudden, as I started to slow down, I, and, and I thought, I can't. I'm in trouble here. I mean, I'm really getting overwhelmed by these circumstances. And something I'm doing a lot more where I'm doing a lot of journaling where I'm journaling my own heart and thoughts and I just said oh father help me help me and at the very end before I discovered Psalm 131 where I started using it for my own life I said father I just need to climb up in your lap and be held and know that I'm loved and it's all right. I have no control over circumstances and people and things. I just need. I, at the time I'm doing this, I had turned on, I have a playlist. Over the last year, from the time of my, my crash, certain songs God used to really minister to me. I mean, specific songs and I had that playlist going, and I, I wasn't even listening to it. It was just in the background. And I cried out, and I said, Lord, I just want to climb into your lap. And then I created space to just say, I, want to I need to experience something. I really do, because I'm hurting it. If you don't take this from me, I'm going to get crushed. I'm just getting crushed. I don't. And I'm sitting there in quietness, and one of those significant songs came on. And it just so happened it was one that I think even the subtitle is like the father's song or something, but it just spoke to my heart. And again, I don't, I don't want to give too much because I don't want to share out of turn, but it was one of those songs that, you know, there's a, sometimes there's songs that really just speak to you. And this spoke to me exactly like God was speaking to me through the lyrics of the song. And I could feel it. I, I can't explain it. I just know it was happening. And I began to cry. Because I felt like I was in his lap and he was speaking to me through this song. It was amazing. Someday I'll tell you what happened at the end of it because there's actually the next part of it. But I just that part alone, I was able to get up from my chair and function again because he's still the God 
that me, like a weaned child who has no control, no power, things are too great for me and too marvelous. And I, who am I? But when I came to that position and asked to climb up into his lap, he allowed me. Do you have that kind of experience? Do you know him like that? I believe Jesus, reflecting the Father's heart, still says to us, when we're standing in the middle of a crowd, not knowing what's going to happen to us, and then he calls us over, and he hugs us in the midst of everyone. If you have been born again, then maturing dictates you be a child again. If you've been born again, and you have, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been born again. That implies that you're supposed to grow. And what you grow to is to be a child again. You know, it's funny that the, the writer of Hebrews speaks of this. Was it Hebrews 5? Where he talks about, man, I'd love to tell you more about Melchizedek. And I've always thought... Dag, I wish the Hebrews were more mature. I'd love to know what he was going to tell us more about Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, this early sign of Christ. Was he Christ? Was he not Christ? Was he early? Was he Christophany in the Old Testament? I mean, these are these questions I'm asking when you get through Hebrews 5, and then he says, ah, I wish I could tell you more. But you are babes, still on milk. I need you weaned so you can take meat. He expects us to be child. He expects us to grow but never too much to not be a child again. Not needing parented, not needing loved. That's Psalm 131. And it is so good, if you do those first two verses, it is so good that you know what you want to do? You want to tell other people, hope in God like this. Hope in God who will take you when you're at your worst or when you're out of, you have no control, no power, and he will meet you like this. Hope in God. Hope in the Lord. Now and forevermore. I shared a story very personal just now. Do you know why I shared that? Because I want you to experience things similar to that. I do. And some of you have, and some of you do, and are much farther along in that process. But I want you to experience it. And I'm willing to share something like that. Like David, warriors, saying he's like a weaned child in his mother's lap. And you know what? You should be willing to, to sometimes be a fool for God in order that somebody might experience God in vulnerability, in authenticity. You know, our mission is the, the mission of CFC now real love in real life. You know, that starts with God, right? He's loved us, real love in our lives, like this psalm. Then what are we supposed to do? Oh, we're supposed to reflect that to others. Therefore, we're supposed to real love, exhibit real love to other people in real life. That's the plan. But you know what? You cannot do real love in real life until you've experienced real love in real life through the Lord. That's why these kind of psalms are so important. If you've been born again, then maturing dictates you become a child again. Dependent. So you can receive the wonderful benefits, the wonderful benefits of being his child.
that, what worship do you come on up? And we'll have you guys come up. But then what I want is, hopefully if you're, you have your Bible still open to Psalm 131, we're going to take a moment. If you've never done this, this is a great thing to do. We're going to create a little space. We've got a little time. I want to create space for you to interact with this song between you and God. I want you to say this as it's from you, but put your own words into it or ask your own questions. Gosh, am I prideful, Lord? You can ask him that. But more importantly, I would say, before you go there, just own the fact that you are... I'm out of control. I don't have the power. Just own whatever you're supposed to own. The idea of I've comforted or calmed, by the way, means it has the idea of evening soil, like leveling ground. It says, you know what, I'm going to level the ground. I've, I've raised up too high. I need to level the ground so something can grow. So just take that, just take a moment and just pray the Lord and talk through with him. And don't be afraid to feel because God gave you emotions. So let's just take a moment. praying if you're interacting with the Lord right now just keep going Father we thank you that you're there because we all need parented we are weak you and what's even better is you've invited us there you have tried to make this clear Old Testament New Testament you've tried to make this clear through the example of Jesus who reflected your heart perfectly and who still hugs us Lord that you would quiet our soul 
that we could be led, that we could hear. Because our agendas have gone by the wayside and we take our proper place as a child, humble and dependent, needy of being loved. And in that, Lord, you will speak and you will guide and you will protect. And we all need that. So, Lord, would you just come to those saints here that are interacting with you with an open heart. Come. Let them experience more of you. We ask this in your name. Amen.